Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Caught Red Podcast. We are your host. I'm Megan Light. And I'm Jesse Light. And if you don't already know, we are just here to talk a little bit about true crime and horror and our dogs because we love doggies. They're the best. They really are. We do have cats and they're the devil, but <laughs> still love them just the same. They're tearing up our carpet upstairs. Yeah, but we do get to sleep past 5 a.m., so pick your battles, love. I know. Bittersweet. Yeah, we can just replace the carpet. We're going to have to eventually. Yes. We are not meant for carpet. We are not carpet people. We have too many critters. I just, just want to go ahead and say if you guys, when you listen to this, because we record on a Monday, you listen to this when it comes out on Tuesday or whenever you do listen to this episode, if you hear thunder or rain, or even tornado sirens. That's just that's just how our day's been here in Arkansas. We've had tornado warnings across the whole state. One has hit in Jesseville, which is towards Hot Springs. It's like an hour and a half away from us here. The or dogs are they're not happy. anxious. And I gave them trazodone, so... Well, three out of four. Derby, Derby don't give a shit. Derby walks out in the rain. She's she, fine. The she rest... just pooed in the rain. The rest <laughs> of them were like, um, no, it's fine. I don't want to get my feet wet. She, she and I have lived in apartments and houses without any fencing. So we've gone on WALKs in all kinds of weather. So she's like, eh, it's just another day. But the other three, they're privileged. Do what you got to do. Right, yep. Derby? She's over here. But yeah, so if y'all hear any noises or if the dogs stir around a lot, that is why. They're they are not happy campers. Story of our lives. That's fine. Well, we hope you guys all had a great Christmas and a good New Year's, that everybody was safe. You got what you wanted. We took that opportunity to take a break and spend time with our family. And now we are refreshed and we're ready to knock this year out of the park. I didn't even make it to midnight. No, no, on New Year's. (laughs) No. No. Whoa. There it is. There it is. It's okay, babies. There we go. There's your example of what we've been dealing with. Like, it is, like, we we went to the gym at about 1 o'clock or so, and it was fine. And then my mom sent me a text asking how our weather was. It was storming there. And she always asks how Ripley is because Ripley is, she's terrified of thunder. And uh, I was like, we're fine. There's nothing here. And then I swear to God, like a minute later, I looked out the window at the gym and it was lightning everywhere. And I was like, damn it, woman. She jinxed us. So it is just, it's flooded everywhere in, especially in Conway. What are you doing? Smile. What? Oh, and my Snuggie? Yeah. What'd you get for Christmas? Uh, Well, this is, I'm wearing one of my favorite things. It's like a giant snuggy hoodie blanket thing. I it got, looks really comfortable. Mom and Dad got me two of them, so I got an upstairs and a downstairs pair. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, that. And then we got some, well, he got me a couple of gifts that's like an R's gift. Like I got a, a Die Hard book, and it's like a picture book of the whole movie Die Hard. And whoever the, the authors of it, they did such a great job. It is so good. And then we got some decoration for our walls for our little studio up here, which which I didn't know it was an option until earlier today when you asked me if I was going to paint it black. Oh, Lord. So let's fucking go. Well, she was talking about getting paint for our bathroom, and I was like, well, you might as well get some for the studio. I'll It can be the darkness in here. That's fine with me. But yeah, I got her some wall art for in here, and then... Mm-hmm. Well, we got CrimeCon tickets for September in Orlando yes, that we're pretty excited, excited about. So that, that'll be here before we know it. I know that's going to be like a belated anniversary trip. Yeah. And then I got these cool Punisher golf balls from Matt. I like those. I'll have them up here too. Okay. And then a sure. book of Joe Rogan quotes. That was awesome. Did Scotty get you that? I think so, yeah. yeah. And then Mom made us quilts yes, and bookmarks. They're, they're amazing. Freaking sweet. She does such a good job. Your mom also, I thought this was a really funny. <laughs> How, like, it's not, it wasn't really like a Christmas gift, but 
I was talking to Jesse's dad about, because I have like this really, it's like a blazer version of a Carhartt jacket. Like it's very lightweight. And I was talking about getting a heavier one. And Jesse's mom was like, well, here, come here for a minute. And she takes me to one of their bedrooms and she gives me this jacket, this nice Carhartt jacket to try on and it fit. She goes, oh, well, that was Jesse's when he was 10. So me at 34 and this, I'm the size of Jesse. <laughs> She's a little bitty. When he was 10, so. It looked good on you, too. Fit it fits very well. Very unexpected Christmas gift. But I am very excited about my my in-laws. My big gift from them was a Keurig that does both a coffee pot and then the one cup. So days like today, which we were gone most of the day anyways, but like today or like my other days off, I can just make that pot of coffee. And let it just stay warm all day and just kind of sip on it. But then for the other days, I can do the one cup and go. So yeah, I'm very she, excited. She asked me yesterday if you had liked it, if that was the right one. Yes. Well, <coughs> I, I need, well, we have to go to the grocery store at some point. And when we go, I need to buy some coffee filters so I can use the, the big pot. So, yes, thank you, Paul and Ed Light. Thank you, Mom and Dad, for everything. Thank you, love, for my things You're welcome. as well. Thank you for my socks and underwear. Oh, you're so welcome. I was going to tell everybody about, because uh, like, I mean, Christmas, everything went really well, except for the fact that Jesse's parents didn't have power for 27 hours. And so we were thinking we were going to have to host Christmas at our house, which would have been fine. Yeah. I mean, they- we have more space here, too. Would have just had to deal with the dog hairs and the ravioli. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's it's just an extra little something something. But like what I thought was really funny is the fact that we, I mean, everybody, everybody knew that like a week prior to Christmas, we were going to have a little bit of snow and ice and all that kind of stuff. So like even Jesse and I were dripping our faucets like a week in advance. Like we were ready. Everybody was ready except for the utility companies. Because, like, all of Greenbrier pretty much was out of power, except for our end yeah, get and a couple your, other sections. But it's like, bro, everybody get knew. Get your shit together. Even the the news anchor for, like, Channel 7 yeah. went on Twitter and was calling them out. So my parents didn't have power for Thanksgiving and for Christmas. It's like, what are the odds, man? We're just not. We're meant to have holidays here at our house so both our families can come. We should do that. I'm a down. combined. Sure. I'm trying to think. What else was exciting? Like I said, for New Year's, we were in bed. We were going to go, and then I had some leftover eggplant that decided to not go well with my stomach. So that was my fault. But we watched a movie, and then Jesse wasn't even awake at midnight. I had to wake him up for our New Year's kiss, and then we both went to bed. Right back to sleep. (laughs) Very exciting stuff around here. (laughs) Well, we've got... Some new stuff coming in the year, New Year, right? It's like we said, we're going to Crime Con. We need to go to, we have a local place that we've talked to in Conway called Ad Graphics that we need to go by there and yes. get some shirts and stuff ordered. Our resolutions, we're going to get merch made. We're, yes. We're going to do a giveaway. We're going to do we it. We are going to get video. Yes. That's and- why we need to decorate and fix the room up because I'm not saying y'all don't want to see his massive golf ball collection. <laughs> but we do have some uh, horror-themed things to put on the walls as well. And, and I think, I mean, Patreon's probably something in the future, too. Eventually. Yeah. Baby we're, we're getting there. I mean, we've only been a thing for five months now, so. Yeah, it's uh, we've we're, got time. Yeah. Plus, we both work. Yes. Very weird schedules. One thing at a time. We're getting yes, there. Yes, it's getting fine. There. We love you guys for supporting us. Yes, we love it. I do want to throw out that um, that website that I showed you. So I was looking on Reels on Instagram, and this guy was talking about this website. Everybody can use it. Everybody can look up their own cities and towns. It's not just in Arkansas? No, it's you can put any any town, any city in. But it's called Hood Maps, H-O-O-D, like hood, hoodmaps.com. And like I put in Little Rock and it's so freaking funny. I'm showing Jesse. There's a section 
If you're from this area, then you know what Roosevelt Road is. But there's this little section around Roosevelt that it says, you will get shot here <laughs> yeah. or you will die here. Something it's something like, like that. Yeah. And it, I mean, that's the epitome of that section of the city. I just thought it was really funny, which made me think about what's going on in Eudoria. So we watched a, a clip. Was it on Christmas or around Christmas-ish? Ish. On Jesse's the only one that has TikToks. I refuse to download it because it's not healthy for me, probably. Downward spirals yes. all day. But he saw this clip and it was the mayor and the police chief and a few other uh, deputies from Eudora, uh, I'm sorry, Eudora, Arkansas. And if y'all Google it, it's now becoming more of a nationally known thing because uh, the New York Times did an article, ABC News did an article, but they're like, they're this very tiny town. There's like barely 1,700 people that live there now. It's reduced um, almost by 1,000 the last couple of years. Um, it's in Chico County, which is just a cursed name because Chico Road in Little Rock is just as bad. That's where we actually got Ripley. She's from the hood. But it's in Chico County. It's right on the border of Mississippi and Arkansas. And they have had such an increase in violence in the last year alone that the mayor established a curfew. It's 8 p.m. to 6 a.m. The only people that should be out and about is if you're going to or from work or there is a medical emergency. It sounded like the announcement for the purge or something it when really she got did. on there. Because, I mean, it looked like it was shot in somebody's basement or a back or like a garage or something because she's just sitting in a chair. She's just addressed in the public. They've had um, shootings. They've had a couple of murders this year and then a lot of break-ins, a lot of kids joyriding and making car crashes, things like that happen. Like uh, the police chief, Mike Pitts, was saying how people are losing their lives, innocent kids are being hit by bullets, and it's the kids that are doing it. Until we get justice for that and until we get justice for people whose homes have been violated, we're not going to rest. So that just tells you that crime happens everywhere. Crazy, because I've never even heard of that town. No, and it's not far from Dumas, Arkansas, which um, earlier... Well, now last year, because it's now 2023, but in March of 2022, they had some giant gunfire occurrence that happened there. I was going to read more about it, but uh, those two cities, Eudora and and Dumas, up in that county area is the catfish capital, because we used to get our fish from, we used to get our catfish from Dumas back in the day when I was like in high school. Crime can happen everywhere. And I'm not saying that that is just what our state is becoming because we always talk about Little Rock being hood and then all these other little towns are just getting, you know, wrecked. We have a very beautiful state. We have a lot of beautiful outdoor activities that you can do. We really do. We have a very beautiful state. I hate that so much shit's going on. But it's everywhere. It really is. We just, it's one of those things that like when one thing, like when it rains, it pours literally like outside right now. One bad thing happens, and then all you can see is red. And then you just look for something good, and then, you know, it it comes and goes in phases like a lot of things in life. You ready to do your your case? It's time. Let's do it. So Jesse is kicking off the new year for us. He's got more of a white-collar crime, right? It's not, it's not murder, is it? Well... Originally, I wanted, originally, I wanted to find the guys that the movie The Town was made after and do a case on them, but it turns out that the movie was actually based off a book called Prince of Thieves. Oh, we'll have to get that. Yeah, I want to read that. Yo, you, oh, you have a new bookmark to use. Ah, yes. yes. Well, Ben Affleck, who's the main character, was also the director of The Town, and he did a lot of research into Charleston a neighborhood in Boston and its history of being the area with the most bank robberies in the country. Interesting. So that's where the movie was based, but the movie wasn't based on anyone in real life specifically, so can't really do a case on that. But it is one of my favorite movies. And Megan thought it'd be cool if we found a case less murdery. Well, I mean... So this time... You know, like all the other ones before, they've been murdery. This time it's not, so. I think it'll be very exciting. Yeah. Something different. I'm going to do a bank robbery one. So I'm very excited about this. My sources today are LA Times, 
medium.com, thefamilynation.com, criminals.laws.com, txcrimedefense.com, and then Real Responders Documentary. On September 12th, 1997, six thieves got away with one of the biggest money heists in U.S. history. In the Los Angeles Warehouse District is the Dunbar Armored Vehicle Facility. The Dunbar Company specialized in armored car services, and the Los Angeles facility was a major depot for these vehicles. And it's not a very welcoming part of town either. Street gangs and violence were very common there. Many of the buildings were surrounded by barbed wire fences. Jesus. Which, I mean, that's expected for a, a armored truck facility anyways. What um What movie did we watch? That had Jason Statham in it, and they were at the. Dang, I can't remember what it was called. Keep going. I'm but gonna it was look it up. Kind of like that. Yeah, yeah. That's the first thing I thought of was that facility. Yeah, that was a good one. Well, employees were inside the building counting and sorting over twenty million dollars and just going about their normal business. It was a Friday evening, and the money would be dispersed among a lot of the ATMs across the Los Angeles area throughout the weekend to meet the demand for cash. There were five employees working, including two security guards. At 12.30 a.m., one of the two security guards went to take his break in the cafeteria area, as he did every night, but this time he was not alone. Five armed men had broken into the building and easily disarmed him within seconds. They duct taped him and dragged him into an office where security monitors were kept. Then the second security guard, who was preparing to go home for the night, he entered the cafeteria soon after. He was already in his street clothes and unarmed, and he didn't resist, and they pretty much did the same thing to him, duct taped him and drug him into the that office. Damn. I mean, I'm already questioning right away that How'd Dunbar. They get in? Well, that too, but Dunbar only having five workers when there's twenty million dollars in cash just sitting in there. Like, so I'm not surprised that there wasn't a robbery that day. Why wasn't there one sooner than that? Is what I'm thinking. Like, maybe that was inside information. Maybe because, like you're thinking, there is expected to be a massive load of employees. True. Until somebody on the inside was like, hey, you know, there's like four other people working with me. Come on. Yeah, that makes sense for sure. That movie, by the way, is called Wrath of Man. Wrath of Man. I liked that one. That was a good recommendation for y'all. Yes. Wrath of Man. Not a horror movie. No. Just action. Jason Statham. Can't go wrong there. He kills a lot of people, so you know it's a good movie. (laughs) Yes. So four of the robbers headed for the cash vault while the fifth stayed in the office to keep an eye on the security guards and to watch the security monitors to make sure they didn't have any unsuspecting guests. The employees in the prep area had no idea what was about to happen, and there were only three of them, so they were outnumbered and obviously outgunned. The gunmen came in and threatened to shoot any of them if they made any sudden movements or attempted to press the alarm. They duct-taped the employees like they did the guards, and now... They had direct access to $20 million in cash. Damn. The robbers used bolt cutters to break the padlocks on the metal cages containing the facility's cash, and they stole mostly the $20 bills that were meant for drop-offs at ATMs throughout L.A. So this reminds me of the movie Town, kind of, because there was a money room that was locked, and they knew exactly who was inside, They had information about their families and where they lived, and they pretty much told the men inside the vault they had someone waiting at their homes to kill their families if they didn't open up. Damn. And so quick, they just opened the doors like, here, just take the money. It's not worth my life or my family's lives. Yeah. So one man appeared to be the leader because, according to the employees' interviews later on, he was telling the other men what to do and yelling out orders. And they didn't call each other by name. Instead, they each had a number. So they'd call him one or two, come over here. And they also had radio headsets to communicate with each other when they weren't in the same room. And to let the driver, the sixth man, he, 
I guess, needed the headset to know like when it was time to come get them and get the money. That is wild. Very well planned out. They were ready. They knew exactly which bags of money to take. They were very efficient and wasted no time. I mean, in less than 30 minutes, they were off with $18.9 million to the loading dock. So in the office, the gunmen removed the surveillance recorder that was bolted to the desk and took it with them. The lead gunman came back into the vault area, and the employees said they feared it was time to finish them off, like Mm -hmm. he was going to kill them, but he didn't. Instead, he stole the vault manager's pickup truck keys. The lead gunman and another man took off in the truck, and the other four piled into the vehicle that they brought along with the money, and they just hauled ass out of there, made it out of there with money without even having to fire a shot. And at that point, it was quiet in the building, so the employees and the guards assumed that the gunmen were long gone and they were safe to try to free themselves and call for help. So they got loose from the duct tape and called 911, and LAPD officers were immediately dispatched to the scene. Detective John Licata said this was a very different case than he had ever experienced in the past. Of course, they've dealt with robbers targeting like just a specific armored money truck. Yeah. Or like robbing banks all the time. But he'd never seen them go straight to the main source like they did, you know, in this armored truck facility and steal this much money. I mean, $18.9 million. Almost like effortlessly. Effortlessly, yes. Now, I was was curious, like how much does $18.9 million in cash weigh? (laughs) Because I had, to, I had to look this up, so. And what year What year was this? 1997. So $18.5 million is shit ton more today, too. Yeah, true. So it, just in $20 bills. Uh-huh. Now, I mean, other ATMs, you can get $100 bills out in some ATMs, but just in $20 bills, $18.9 million weighs 2,083 pounds. Holy cow. Or 945 kilograms in other countries since USA wants to be different, but. We don't like that metric. (laughs) If it was $100 bills, it would weigh 416 pounds or 189 kilograms. Wow. Crazy. That's a lot of trips back and forth. Mm -hmm. I mean. Yeah, it makes me think about a. The Italian job at the very beginning when they get the gold bars out of the safe and they've got all those different little underwater vehicles. Oh, yeah. How heavy those must have been. Yeah. And it's lighter underwater, though, Mm -hmm. but still crazy. So officers began the process of interviewing the employees. They said that the gunmen moved around the place like they had been in there before. Mm -hmm. They knew where everything was. And the employees heard the sound of a diesel engine move into and out of the loading dock area. They didn't see them leave, though, obviously. I mean, they were tied up in the vault area. One employee said she recognized the voice of the lead gunman. She thought that he was a former armored truck driver of the company, and she agreed to come to the station the next day to look at a photo lineup. The vault manager told detectives that he wasn't sure why they specifically took his keys and no one else's. He would park in the same spot every night. The suspects didn't ask him what vehicle he drove or where it was parked. So they knew already. Yeah, it was as if they either had been scoping out the place for a while or maybe knew him personally. The vault manager agreed that one of the men's voices was familiar, but a name hadn't come to his mind. He said he would contact them if it came to him. Hmm. There was damage found on the doors and locks into the facility, suggesting that the thieves must have used force to gain entry. But after further inspection by technicians in the police lab, that damage was intentionally done by the thieves to make it look like they forced their way in. The damage wasn't enough to cause the doors to malfunction or to open, And there was also no damage to the inside of the locks, which led the detectives to assume that they must have used a key to enter. I know. If you think about it, if that guy, not saying it is him, because we don't know yet, but if it was a former employee, I mean, no one's going to stop you from making a copy of a key before you give your keys back when you leave your job. True. 
depending on what kind of key it was. Yeah, right. For sure. So $18.9 million taken. All the high denomination cash bins were taken. All the bins containing like stamps, cash checks were left behind. The thieves obviously knew how the company stored its cash. Like you're saying, it's got to be somebody from the inside. Yeah. They knew where the surveillance recorders were and even knew where the backup was. They were kept in a cabinet and 80% of the employees didn't even know about the ones in the back office. Hmm. So this robber knew more than 80% of the employees, employees. did. Well, it's not hard. There's not very many of them. Right. Five. Investigators processed the loading dock area for any evidence, shoe prints, tire tracks, clothing fibers. They didn't find anything there or inside the vault. The only evidence they found was a broken truck reflector or a lens cover. Mm -hmm. They spoke with the maintenance worker and said that the lens had to have been there that had to been left there that evening. At first, they weren't really sure what type of vehicle it, it went to. The money was federally insured, so the FBI joined the case. There was a special task force assembled with 15 investigators, and they called this Operation Dunrob. Special Agent John McEachern from the Los Angeles field office looked over a, a crime scene reenactment video made by the LAPD showing what the thieves did. McEachern hoped the public could help out in any way, too, they didn't really have much to go on as far as appearances. They all wore black and had ski masks on. The public was given a general description as far as height, weight, and clothing, and there was also a reward for any information leading to an arrest. And investigators also that downplayed the size of the hall. They feared that if the true size became public, it would become national news and the robbers would hide even more so than they already were. That makes sense. So for that reason, they would describe the hall as more than a million dollars instead of saying I it was wonder, 18.9 million. They must do that a lot then in the news because when you hear about somebody robbing a bank or whatever, they don't give you a specific amount taken. They say something like that. Hmm. Think about it. Yeah. Nobody's like, they, they took 1100 $207. Like, no. Exact like, they amounts don't. like that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they never told the public the exact amount. Some of the employees believe that the robbers were black, judging from the skin around their eyes and the ski masks. That's all they could really see, though. And that one of the robbers was lighter skinned, possibly Hispanic. The employee who said she recognized the voice of the leader met with the detectives and she looked at the photo lineup and picked a former driver of Dunbar. Ah. So investigators learned that this man had recently left Los Angeles for New Orleans. So FBI from the field office in New Orleans went to his house and knocked on his door. He told them that he had no idea the company had been robbed and he was willing to cooperate and answer any questions. He said that he left his job on good terms. It turned out that he was out of town on vacation the night of the robbery, and the agents were able to validate that statement. Okay. He was 1,900 miles away in Louisiana the night of the robbery. So despite this false lead, investigators still believe that the robbery was an inside job. I mean, it had to have been. But I'm, if I'm this guy, <laughs> yeah, I'd be pissed and one of the, I mean, one of the employees thought that it was him just because of his voice being similar. Like, oh, bro, that's all really? she had to grow off, go off of, though. Still, just calling out some random person and the FBI showing at my door out of the blue. I'd be Excuse freaked me. out. Like, no, it wasn't me. So all of September of 97, the FBI weren't able to identify any of the six masked men. And with that kind of money, they could be anywhere at this point. Right. I mean, they had plenty of reason to believe that at least one of the men was a current or former employee because, one, they used a key to enter. They knew where the surveillance equipment was located. They knew exactly which money bins to take. They knew their whole way around the facility, and they got in and out of there so fast. So in a second interview with the vault manager... He said he believed that he recognized who the main gunman was by his voice. Oh, so here we go again, another, yeah. another voice. After a month. Like, 
Maybe he was laying low, hoping if he said something too early that they'd come get him. So he's like, oh, I'll just wait to mention. I'm not sure. That's just weird how it took him that long to think of who it was. But yeah, because he- when you think about your memories, they they alter over time. They shift slightly. So. Right. Well, he said that he believed the man was Alan Pace, who was a former company employee. He thought that Alan Pace was the gunman that stole his keys to his pickup truck. He said that Pace had actually asked him to borrow it before, and so he would know what type of truck he drove. So Agent McEachern checked out Pace's employment history and found that he was an employee who worked for the company for a year and a half. He was a regional safety inspector for Dunbar. And he was actually fired from the company a day before the robbery for tampering with the armored trucks. He was 28 years old, and he had no prior criminal record. When the company fired him, he had not turned in his keys. There we go. Investigators went to interview Pace at his Compton home. Pace said that he knew about the robbery from what he heard in the news, but he had nothing to do with it. He said he was at a party with his girlfriend that night. He gave them her address and her phone number. Investigators needed to verify his alibi, so they did a background check on his girlfriend. Detective John Licata learned that she actually worked for Dumbar at one point, too. She had worked in the cash vault area and had a position that required her to handle the video surveillance equipment. And she had been fired about four weeks prior to the robbery. Investigators asked her about the night of the robbery, and she said that she and Pace attended an all-night party with their friends in Long Beach. She said that they stayed at the party into the early morning hours, and there were plenty of witnesses that would confirm them being there. Their alibi checked out for now, but they still had Pace at the top of the list of suspects, and it seemed like they were finally making some headway with the case regardless of that alibi. Mm-hmm. To keep the investigation going, they needed to take another look at the only physical piece of evidence that they had, which was... The truck piece, right? Yes, the broken light piece from whatever vehicle was used that night by the robbers. Investigators spent the next couple nights interviewing anyone that hung out or lived around the area surrounding the armored truck facility to see if anyone saw a suspicious truck out there that night. They ended up finding a homeless man that lived on the streets near there. He said that he saw a mid-sized rental truck idling near the armored car company. He said it sounded like a diesel. He noticed it because normally there isn't much activity going on at night around that area. Yeah. He couldn't see the driver, and he had never seen the truck there before that night. Investigators visited all the companies in Los Angeles area that rented out these trucks, specifically with the type of amber lens that fell off. They subpoenaed documents from them to find a history of who rented vehicles from them as far back as two months prior of the robbery and who returned vehicles as far as two months after the robbery. Okay. So as you can imagine, that's going to take some time. I was just wondering if, like, the homeless man got a good enough look at the truck if they couldn't just show him pictures of company logos and be like, do any of these look familiar to you? Well, I think he told him it was a U-Haul truck. Oh, well, that's not very helpful. Right, but there are like 82 different companies like that rented out trucks like this in the Los Angeles area. So I was like, this is going to take forever. And it turns out that there were no rentals from Alan Pace or his girlfriend. So that was another dead end for now. Assistant U.S. Attorney Alka Sager wasn't happy with the case so far and the lack of evidence, and they couldn't just get a warrant to search Alan Pace's home. They didn't have enough evidence for that. All they had at the time was that he was a former employee who had a voice that sounded like the robber. Mm-hmm. The FBI and LAPD tailed Pace, thinking he would show signs of living well beyond his means. If you had millions of dollars, surely you know you'd be spending like you had millions of dollars. But he didn't appear to have a lot of cash at his disposal. Months had passed, and there was little movement on the case. There were really no leads from there, and the investigation came to a halt. Pace, still the primary suspect, but it looked like, at the time, the six masked gunmen had gotten away with stealing $18.9 million. 
God. It just looked like a professional job done to perfection besides the the little lens that mm-hmm. they found. I mean, no fingerprints, no track marks, no nothing. That's crazy. No large amounts of money being spent. But all it takes is one mistake for things to turn around, and there'd be one. There do be one. There do be one, but it wasn't until an informant came forward saying that he might know one of the robbers. FBI came to the informant's home, and he explained to them that he used to be an employee for the Dunbar Armored Company, but left to become a real estate agent. He said he was given $100,000 in cash to purchase a home for a man that he knew. The man's name was Eugene Hill. Eugene Hill asked that the deed to the home be listed in the name of his girlfriend. And what made the informant suspicious was that the money was still wrapped in the bank straps. Shut up. Right? And had the date on them. They were dated two days prior to the heist. The FBI investigators were able to determine that they were, in fact, from the Dunbar Armored Facility. Something as obvious as a bank strap. <laughs> like, bro, how are you going to miss that? He didn't listen to that band's make her dance right. song. Buy some rubber bands, replace the straps. It's not that hard. Good Lord. Or, or get some other 20s and mix them all in and shuffle them around and just... So stupid. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You know how pissed the rest of his crew was going like, you are a dumbass. You done fucked up. <laughs> yeah. Eugene Hill, like Alan Pace, he didn't have a criminal record, surprisingly. But unlike Alan Pace, he had never worked at the armored car company. A background check, however, revealed that he did have a connection with Alan Pace. Both Hill and Pace worked together for another security agency in Los Angeles. Investigators began surveillance on Hill. They followed him to a business called Extreme Entertainment. Looking more into this business, it billed itself as an entertainment service that provided anything from children's games to exotic dancers. What is this? <laughs> L.A., what is going on? Yeah, yeah, you heard that right. Quite the broad arrangement of entertainment there. <laughs> Just hopefully they don't send the wrong entertainment to the wrong party. <laughs> <laughs> that would not end well. So business records showed that Eugene Hill was a partner in the company along with Alan Pace. So I think it was obvious that this business was one of the many they used to launder the money from the robbery. The IRS was then brought on board and were caught up with the information the investigators had so far. Their plan was to eventually bring up money laundering charges against the men along with the robbery. Now besides Alan Pace and Eugene Hill... Extreme Entertainment listed two other men as partners, Terry Brown and Fred McGrary. The four had all worked at the same security company. Extreme Entertainment wasn't really generating a lot of income, but there was a lot of cash growing through the business into their bank accounts. Of course. And then a lot of money being paid out in salaries, so it was looking very suspicious. They, what? So Eugene was obviously a dumbass because he left the... Money bands. Obviously. But they're all dumbasses for putting all their names together in one business. Yeah, that wasn't very smart. They should have made two businesses or three or four or something. Get the hell out of Dodge. They have not watched Tulsa King. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's obviously years in advance. We highly recommend Tulsa King, by the way. Yes. So investigators dove deep into the backgrounds of... Of the four partners, they subpoenaed bank statements, credit card reports, tax returns. Eugene Hill had a second source of income. There were a lot of checks deposited from a company called Rainforest. In addition to writing regular monthly checks to Eugene Hill, Rainforest was writing checks to someone by the name of Thomas Johnson. He was listed as a consultant for Rainforest. And Rainforest was in business developing new recycling technologies. Eugene Hill and Thomas Johnson had invested $2 million into this company. Under the name Rainforest, most of the money was used to buy an incinerator that burned trash without causing air pollution, and they paid themselves a salary of more than 100000 I mean, it was classic money laundering. Yes. 
had to have been. So now they had five pretty strong suspects to the robbery, but still no real evidence directly connecting them back to it, I guess, except for the straps. I mean, that's pretty... That's pretty good evidence, if you ask me. Eugene, buddy. LAPD detective John Lakata and his partner, John Wong, worked to cross-reference the suspects' names and truck rental records from the time of the robbery. They knew Alan Pace's name wouldn't come up because they'd tried that already, but maybe one of these new names would appear. And sure enough, John Wong found that there was a rental agreement by Eugene Hill of a rental truck just prior to the robbery and then a return of the vehicle just after the robbery. So Eugene Hill just keeps messing up. Eugene, I like that he put his house's lease or... The deed and his deed, girlfriend's name. But he didn't use his girlfriend to help... For anything else? Right. Like, right. I mean, obviously they would have found out because of the bands that who whatever her name is was connected to him. But if they had used that name... Or one of the other girlfriend's names and had her rent the car. Like, I mean, you could have almost nipped that one in the bud because then that'd have to leave tomorrow, you know. He didn't have much common sense. The detectives were able to locate the exact truck and had the FBI forensic lab compare the amber lens found at the crime scene to the rental truck. It was an exact match. Investigators began surveillance on Thomas Johnson, who was living in Las Vegas at the time, on the night of September 10th, 1999, nearly two years to the day of the robbery. Damn. There was a domestic disturbance called in at the home of Thomas Johnson. His girlfriend had called the police. Investigators figured they would use this opportunity to question the girlfriend and see if she knew anything about money laundering and robbery. And she was more than willing to answer any questions because she just said that Thomas had beaten her, so... Fuck that guy. Yeah. She said that Thomas Johnson had been laundering money through the Las Vegas casinos. They'd buy thousands of dollars worth of chips and later have her exchange them for cash. The exchanges were always less than $10,000 to avoid having to fill out cash reports. So at least they're kind of smart there. I was about to say, they've got the best sense so far. Yeah. And Thomas Johnson enjoyed gambling, and it, it can be tough for investigators to know where that kind of money is coming from. It could very well just be from gambling winnings Mm -hmm. and then just putting it back in. They found out that a few hundred thousand dollars were spent gambling. Johnson's girlfriend mentioned a big job that Thomas had taken part in in Los Angeles and that he had told her about all this but didn't really go into detail about it. She said Johnson had invested in a company with a fellow gambling friend And when they showed her a picture of Eugene Hill, she was like, yep, that's the guy. Eugene, my man. (laughs) The circumstantial evidence against Alan Pace and Eugene Hill and Thomas Johnson was growing, but it still wasn't enough to make arrests. Agents would need some confessions and for one of them to snitch the others out, basically. Investigators spoke next with Eugene Hill's girlfriend. She said that, Out of nowhere, Eugene had large amounts of cash and that he would have her store some of it at her apartment. Her and her friend helped him count and sort thousands. He told her that before the crisp bills were spent, they needed to look more worn out so she would wash them. She said that usually Thomas Johnson would help them too. They'd go to Vegas, use the wash bills to buy gambling chips, and then turn them in for new cash. So her statement added up to Johnson's girlfriend's statement. For her testimony, the investigators agreed not to file charges against her. I'm wondering if all that, like the the washing of the bills and stuff, came after they bought the house. Because if he gave them the whole thing with the band on it, then you didn't try to make that look like used bills. It's like they washed the bills and then put them back in the same strap or something. Like, come on, bro. You got the money. You can go buy a bag of rubber bands. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so then the FBI spoke with Eugene Hill's sister. There were bank accounts that made her look suspicious as well. There were several accounts that she was holding in trust for Eugene Hill, 
Lots of unexplained cash deposits and checks were being written for vehicle and motorcycle purchases. She claimed to be unaware of any financial matters, and she went to use the phone, and a few minutes later, Eugene Hill showed up, and he also denied everything. He said he didn't have time to speak, but would come down to the station and talk to them the next day. However, he was a huge flight risk, and they ended up just arresting him right then on the spot with only the circumstantial evidence. It was a risk, but one that they were willing to take because if they let him go, there was a good chance that he would have alerted the other men and they could have gotten away. All disappeared, yeah. I like how he's splurged and he's getting vehicles and motorcycles and houses. Bro, calm down. He was arrested September 23rd, 1999. Searching his home, they found ledgers that showed Hill had purchased real estate in other people's names. Alan Pace was on the ledgers as having purchased real estate in others' names as well. There was over a million dollars of real estate purchased for him that he had no legitimate source of income to purchase that property. Specifically, they used straw buyers to acquire at least 10 homes during public auctions of foreclosed properties. Oh, you know what a straw bar- straw buyer is? No, but is? I like that they were doing the foreclosure properties. Yeah. So a straw buyer is just a person who makes a purchase on behalf of another person. Ah, okay. Some of the houses were rented out while others were occupied by their families. Eugene Hill was facing up to 40 years in prison if convicted. So hoping for a deal to shorten that sentence. Snitch. Snitch. Hill confessed and promised to tell the police everything he knew. And this is exactly what they needed, someone to turn against the others. And, of course, it's Eugene Hill. Of course, Eugene. Okay, I'm not saying that we were ever going to rob someplace and have that much money. But we are staying nowhere near the place it happened before we even start buying things or using it. No, what? You could have moved anywhere. You could have done anything. Oh, yeah. And you're like, no, I robbed this area. We'll just stay here. No. Hill said that Alan Pace recruited him and three others for the robbery. Alan Pace had told him that he had already talked to Terry Brown and Freddie McGrary and that they were down. And he wanted Eugene to come on board and to bring another guy in. So Eugene talked to Thomas Johnson about it, and he was also down. Pace was the mastermind and leader of the gang. He had been planning this for nearly two years while working there. Wow. He knew floor plans, security camera locations, security features, daily operations, just the ins and outs of the armored delivery vehicles and facility. So even though they they checked his criminal record and he had none, that doesn't mean he didn't have a criminal record. He just wasn't <clears throat> caught. Yeah. He was planning it the whole time. That's wild. Hill knew all the men except for the sixth, who was a personal friend of Pace. Pace told them that his plan could set them up for life. If they did the robbery on a Friday night, there would be fewer employees working and that he knew who the employees were and that they wouldn't put up a fight. They could tie them up, take the money, and be gone in 30 minutes or less. Literally. Literally. That's what happened. Hill said that he rented the U-Haul truck the day of the robbery and they met up for the party in Long Beach to establish the alibi. Shortly before midnight, they left the party one by one. They drove to the warehouse district. During the robbery, one man stayed in the truck while the other five went in. He waited a few blocks away till he received the call on their headsets to pull up to the loading dock. Pace knew to take the surveillance equipment. They took the money to a storage unit that was rented by Thomas Johnson, and they left the money there for two weeks. Wow. Eugene Hill and Alan Pace drove away in the vault manager's pickup truck since Pace knew where he parked each night, and the other four went in the U-Haul truck. The six men disposed of the surveillance equipment and of the guns and changed back into their clothes from the party and returned to the party as if nothing had happened. Wow. So, I mean, you got to think. I don't, I'm not really sure how long it takes to get from Long Beach to the armored truck place. You can maybe check that, but they finished 
stealing the money so fast. I mean, yeah. the people at the party probably finished like one or two beers before they were already arrived back at the party. Right. It's crazy. And they all agreed to wait six months before they started laundering any of the money. They maintained a low profile and avoided spending any money that would lead to suspicion. Are you looking it up? I am, which Dunbar Armored is permanently closed now. Oh. It is about a 30-minute drive, give or take, I guess, with traffic and everything, but about 30 minutes. Hmm. So they were probably gone a couple hours, but still, if it was into the early morning hours of right, the night, people, are I mean, drunk. people don't pay attention to that. No. Agent John McEachern believed in order to verify Eugene's story, they needed to bring in Thomas Johnson next. They knew his exact, exact location. He spent a lot of time in the casinos. They didn't know if he was armed, but in order to... Ex- execute a safe arrest they approached a guard at the casino and told him to tell johnson that his car had been hit outside johnson took the bait and as he checked his car investigators surrounded him and arrested him like hill johnson ended up cooperating in hopes of a lesser sentence Mm -hmm. he confirmed everything that eugene hill had said and that alan pace was in fact the mastermind They finally had the evidence they needed, and they arrested everyone but Alan Pace. Alan Pace was aware of all the arrests and contacted Agent John McEachern at his office saying that he was going to self-surrender. And on February 28, 2000, Pace arrived at the Los Angeles Federal Building with his lawyer and made no statement. He refused to cooperate, and Pace was arrested and held without bail. Well, he has the bill money, so. Yeah, right. No <laughs> bill, though. Four robbers pled guilty. Eugene Hill, Thomas Johnson, Terry Brown, and Fred McGrary. Eugene Hill was sentenced to nine years in prison. Thomas Johnson received 10 years. Fred McGrary received seven and a half years. And Terry Brown received eight years. Okay. Eric Boyd was the sixth gunman. He fought the charges against him and was found guilty and sentenced to 17 years. Dumbass. Yeah. What were you thinking? During Alan Pace's trial, he testified in his own defense saying that he was being framed by another defendant. Shut up. He said it was because he was messing with his wife. Bro. Just so dumb. We know it was you. Everyone says it was you. You were the last employee to work there. You have your fucking keys. It was... Well, after a three-week trial, Alan Pace was sentenced to 24 years in prison. He was incarcerated at a federal correctional institution in Safford. U.S. District Judge Bayard said she wanted to punish Pace for showing no remorse and for denying that he was behind the robbery. She characterized the sentence as a very long time, a very serious sentence. Eugene Hill also gave the names of a lawyer and his former legal assistant who were indicted on charges of money laundering. The pair were accused of writing more than 50 checks, totaling more than $1.4 million on behalf of Eugene Hill and Alan Pace for investments of laundering money used to make down payments on homes. Dave Matsumoto was the lawyer's name, and he admitted he took $1 million to help launder the money. And they got 2.5 years each, I believe. I was just thinking, did uh, you say it was the ADA that said he had no, rem- no remorse? A what? The ADA, where the district attorney said that Pace had should never. The, no rem- the no, judge said that. The judge. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously it's a crime regardless. But him not showing remorse for stealing money, I don't really say you. I don't. To me, that doesn't make sense because it's not like. Anyone died. No one died. Nobody was hurt. I don't see any reason for him to not show, like, no remorse. Like, Right. He didn't kill anybody. Right. You know what I mean? I'm trying to say. Yeah. Sounds weird in my he head coming out. He just got caught. Out. Yeah. Like, obviously, he's. Like, why would he, he didn't steal anybody's money personally. Right. He stole no the government's one money. No one died. <laughs> uh, I just thought that was kind of crazy that it said he showed no remorse. He didn't kill anybody, though. True. Calm down. Didn't even fire a gun. No. They could have been fake guns. They could have brought they fake... They could have had water guns in there. That's right. true. Very true. 
The agent seized all their assets. They were able to account for about $5 million worth, mostly in the form of cars, homes, and other valuables. So that leaves $14 million just about. Damn. So was it spent? Was it it's like, in a hole in the ground. Yeah, I would be burying that money probably, to hide it. Probably hidden somewhere, or their friends have it, or until they get out of prison uh-huh. or something. But I mean, FBI is going to be watching them. I'm sure whenever yeah. they're released. I think they're probably all released by oh, now. That's what I was about to look because you said ninety set or ninety nine. Yeah, well, when the, they were caught, two thousand one was when oh they, the trial the trials. Yeah, they're so the well, case is about to be out then in a couple he years. Got out on early or something but if they make any moves the fbi is gonna be ready so that is but that is the story of the dunbar armored robbery that is crazy that is so well thought out well planned let me ask you this him being fired the day before do you think that that pushed up their time to make the robbery happen like he he was he was the robbery happened in like a random september day right yeah it was a friday Friday, that was when there was gonna be the fewest amount of employees working that night i don't think his firing had anything to do with that because they already planning on a friday night regardless but i'm saying because he was fired they had to do it then because he could only have that key for so long before people started asking oh, about I that key. Oh, I see what key. you're saying. Maybe, but like I said, he could have made a copy. True. I just think that if he was still working there, they could have done it at any time. Any Friday. Any Friday. And he could have just kept working there, you know. Well, if he I think had I just, orchestrated it and was still an employee, I would have made myself a victim in the middle of all of it. So it looked like I wasn't involved because <laughs> I got tied up too. True. I just think the being fired drew more suspicion. To him, yes. Yeah, Yeah, he did kind of fuck up there. Mm -hmm. And I'm surprised that his girlfriend, because she also worked there and was fired previously, wasn't involved any more than she was, or they hadn't found any reasons to tie her I would have definitely started asking a lot more questions to her, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. She knew about the surveillance equipment. Yes, so she had to have told him everything she knew about and, that. And it, Okay, so he worked there like a year and a half, give or take, almost two years before he got fired. Yeah, he was he an learned, inspector, so I mean he... He was in every crevice of that company. I was about to mm-hmm. say he had to have the job that allowed him to go into every room and look things over without being suspicious. I, just, I wonder why he was tampering with vehicles. Yeah, like uh, a tracking system in case they took one of their cars. Maybe, like that was a backup plan or mm-hmm. something. Hmm. Pretty crazy, though. That is awesome. I mean, obviously it's a crime, so it sucks. But <laughs> damn, that was well planned out. It really I was. I liked it. That really did remind me a lot of that Wrath of Man movie. Uh-huh. So that much money good. just... That is a lot of money. That's a lot. Two... Thousand pounds worth? Yeah. Give if or it's take. all twenty dollar bills. And they were smart to do twenty dollar bills because if they were at like a store or something, you would just have a couple twenties on you, no one's gonna think twice, but you got a couple hundreds on you, people would be like, Damn. <laughs> yeah. What you doing, baller? True. And it's not like because they waited two weeks. Before they used any money, which was smart. No, they waited two weeks just to get the money out. They waited six months before they started spending money. Oh, okay. Six That's months. even better because if, you know, the feds are trying to track bills. Yeah. Looking for serial numbers. I mean, they, that was smart. Yeah. Eugene Hill just screwed up with Eugene, the Eugene, <laughs> man. You dumb ass. Eugene ruined it for them. They could be living the high life right now. Well... Fucking Eugene. I saw where they were going to make a movie. Now, this was in 2020 that I saw this article that Alan Pace, they're going to make a movie about them. Mm -hmm. Uh, Jada Pinkett Smith's brother, I think, is going to be the producer. Have you, was there a title? I didn't look into it that much. I just thought that was crazy. Jada. Jada, 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 Jada. He was the producer for some of Will Smith's movies. 
Oh, like her brother. That, I need to look um, up brother. That Earth movie. That Earth movie. <laughs> it was a bad movie. Caleb Pinkett is his name. Let me look. Are you oh. on Variety.com? I did. I just pulled that one up. There you go. Charm City Kings. Charm- Produce, well. He's the producer of oh, that. Oh, never mind. Caleb Pinkett has teamed up with production company Rebel Maverick for a film based on the Dunbar Heist. Oh, yeah, there's no title given yet, so I guess it hasn't gone any further into production. I'll watch it when it comes out, if if it's made. The producer said, What really drove us to want to bring this true story to the big screen is our love for heists and also... Most importantly, seeing someone finally come out on top after always being at the bottom of the barrel. That was and is Alan Pace. What? How is he on (laughs) top? He stole. What? He's a thief. That makes no sense. Pinkett is executive producing the series Cobra Kai. He's also produced After Earth. That's the one I was talking about with Will Smith. That's a dumb quote. Yeah. He was a robber. He broke the law. How are you going to (laughs) say? I like that story, though. That was entertaining. I didn't know what to expect. I figured it was some sort of inside job right from the get-go based based on what you were saying. But I didn't know which way to go. There was one in Brazil that these people bought a property like across the street from a bank. Okay. And they dug underneath the ground that is across some Hollywood the shit. street and like air conditioned the whole, the whole tunnel and everything, like put lights and they drilled up into the vault Shut and took up. money out. And it was way more than $18.9 million. Shut up. Yeah. That it took some time too. I can't remember, like two months or something. And it was like a whole bunch of people working on it together. Wild. Okay, I have to read about that yeah. one. I'll have to get so, my Google on. I was going to do both of them, but realized, okay, this one's going to take it the whole time. So, oh, perfect. <laughs> For next time on the robberies. Yeah. I like that. It was awesome. Thank y'all for tuning in to. Our first episode of the new year of 2023. We hope y'all like that one. I like I like the change like of pace. It. That was cool. Very cool. We, like I said, are going to be working on some merch coming up. We've got lots of things planned for the year. We have our bonus episode we're going to be doing for horror this week. Are we still doing? Tools of Terror. Tools of Terror. So any odd, crazy weird weapon weapons murder weapons yeah i've got some weird ones i don't know about yours oh yeah 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 i'm ready it's gonna be a good one so if you want to uh recommend us we would highly appreciate it we are always looking for new listeners out there in the world you can go to instagram and look us up it's caught red podcast spelled p-a-w-d pod And you can see pictures of all of our critters because we love our critters. And we always try to brighten people's days with like funny stories on there. We had shared last night a clip from TikTok that I think everybody needs to watch anyways, not just not just girls, You're but guys about the Memphis too. Thing? Out in Memphis, this woman was just minding her business, about to get into her vehicle with the car next to her, and she starts getting into her driver's side. And the people in the car next to her get out and they tried to take her. Luckily, that guy. Yeah, there from, was like oof. somebody from a store or something came out and saw it happening and was able to save her life. So please stay vigilant out there. Yeah. I think that's a, a very good video for people to watch just yeah. to be, be on a, high alert. Be aware of your surroundings. You don't know what's going on out there. Well, until later this week, you want to say it or me? Stay local. Shop local, murder local. Yeah.